Today on the Moolily podcast, we have Sarah Miller with us talking about anxiety and how we can have compassion on ourselves. We are women who have given up on trying to live in perfectionism and guilt. Because let's be honest, it just doesn't work. So we're trying something different and choosing to live intentionally and with hope. Please join us as we attempt to open the conversation and search out answers in a safe place. Welcome to the Moo Lily podcast. Good morning. It's great to be together again. It is. Welcome to the Moo Lily podcast. I am Christina. I'm Christina. And we are recording on a beautiful sunny morning and we are upstairs we often do our recording in the basement Mm -hmm. and we have a pretty nice basement like it doesn't feel like a dungeon but it's still your underground and today we are not yes and it's it's good it's good to be together this is my favorite it's i don't know what the temperature is outside but this is my it's beautiful it was just a touch like chilly in the air this morning but sunny and this is kind of what fall is like in australia Mm. heading towards winter it's like still sunny and warm in the sun Mm -hmm. but there's a bit of a chill in the air it's my favorite me too so um as you would know if you've been listening at all (laughs) or seeing us on social media we are doing a series on um tending the garden of your heart so how to stay connected to the Lord and to our own hearts, how to take care of ourselves in difficult seasons or in quiet seasons or slow seasons or wonderful seasons. There's just ongoing things that we need to do and it's it's good. Um, we are sponsored by Wooten Media. <laughs> <laughs> My brain isn't fully functioning. Sorry. And you should check us out on social media. Yep. And our website, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. Our website is moolily.com, M-O-O-L-I-L-Y.com. Yes. We are on iTunes once again. We are. We Hooray. are. We're back. We've been back for a while now. Mm-hmm. At the time that this is aired. <laughs> yes. Praise the Lord. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Please do. And if you are a subscriber and you like us yeah please would you leave a review yeah really helps us get seen and found if we have good reviews if you don't like us feel free not to say anything yeah. <laughs> just give that to yourself yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's just jump right in i'm really excited about our guest today this we have sarah miller with us we do. welcome thank you hello so we had Sarah with us last year. It was probably about this time last year. I think mm-hmm. it was in the fall. And um, Sarah is a counselor and somebody who I've been friends with for a few years now. We, we go to church together and someone who I really appreciate her just practicality, her honesty around just some of the challenges of life. But she also brings just such wisdom. She's very, very well educated and trained and experienced in in relating to lots of different um issues and struggles with women particularly and she just brings such kindness and grace and like okay this is how it is this is what it means which i really appreciate because we need the pastoral care but Mm -hmm. we also need the the tools to like keep moving forward so yeah thank you for joining us today thanks for having me again and thank you for that 
kind introduction. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Come back for that. <laughs> if you're ever feeling low, just come back here. And come yeah. back we'll here to Moo Lily. <laughs> <laughs> she has a gift. Right. <laughs> so maybe, Sarah, you can um, give us a little introduction of yourself. If sure. you can tell us how you got into this field and what what is your passion? What motivates you? I never imagined I'd ever be a counselor. Um, that was never on my radar. Um, basically, when I was in high school, um, even somewhat junior high, I had a lot of anxiety. And mm. I mm. dealt with a lot of internal thinking, processing. My internal world was very complicated yeah. from what mm. I now understand. Mm. Um, for a teenager my age, um, I think all teenagers' world, internal worlds are very complicated, <laughs> let's yeah. be honest, with, especially now if we have you know, social media and there's so much more influx of information that our teenagers are having to process, which I didn't have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't have my first email, which was AOL until college. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, girl. that's my world, right? Uh -huh. That's our world. Um, Anyway, I, I had this sense and I was, I was, I grew up in a Christian home and, um, I, I just had this sense as I was dealing with some of these things, even though I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't, I mean, my parents tried to help. I was, you know, in scripture, but some of the things weren't getting better and weren't stopping. And I just felt like the Lord during that time was, there was going to be a reason for it. I just had this sense about that and I didn't understand mm. that. It kind of angered me a little bit, but I just had this sense that there's a bigger purpose here and maybe one day I'll work with young, older, younger girls or maybe this will all make sense later. Um, but it was really annoying <laughs> <laughs> that I still had to deal with it and it couldn't yeah. just go away. And um, no, so no magic. Dust that's right that stuff. No. exactly so anyway that was I think that was kind of the beginning of my heart just had a just my own in understanding more about my own heart and my own hard wiring and accepting some of those things and then um you know through throughout college I continued um to pursue my own counseling and um just continue working on my own stuff regarding my own hard wiring and at different points it was very difficult for me to accept and didn't accept I had anxiety. And mm. then when, um, you know, I had test anxiety and I couldn't remember anything I'd studied. I was like, well, maybe it'd be okay for me to talk about this with someone. Um, so anyway, that, I mean, certainly that was part of my own journey. And then after college, I was, I had some really powerful experiences, um, during the summer between my sophomore and junior year and then also between my junior and senior year that I think really helped me to see more of my true identity um, in terms of my perfectionism and what was why was I pursuing what I was pursuing and um, all that to say it kind of led me to the road of youth ministry which there I began to see how much I loved working with young girls hmm. and in that process um, I realized I didn't have a lot of the things I needed to help younger younger girls really move right. forward, um, my relationship with them. And of course the mm -hmm. spiritual direction that I could offer just from my life was awesome, but I really felt like I was ill-equipped to do much more than that. And that's what led me back to my master's program. 
Um, and through that process, um, just started, you know, gaining the skills and tools and the professional knowledge and experience to be able to do this in a more professional situation. And, um, I would say that, you know, women and women's issues are certain is certainly one of my passions. And over the years, I think I've really, I'm continuing to, to develop different passions within that um, mm-hmm. specialty. Yeah. But yeah. in the last few years, I think that I've just seen how shame and um, shame and compassion really work hand in hand. And um, the difficulty in our culture with especially Christian women being able to offer compassion and the anxiety that comes even with being a Christian woman in mm-hmm. our culture. Um, and what the expectations we have of ourselves and the, the culture has of us. And I'm continually reminded of, you know, in the 1950s, what women dealt with versus what women deal with now. Mm-hmm. We have come a long way mm-hmm. in yeah. many, many areas. But what we deal with now is just a different world. And so we have to figure out what that means for the way we live now. So anyway, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Very cool. It's funny, I worked with... In youth ministry, for a long time, my dad was a pastor, so that was just kind of, you know, the family business. And I, mm-hmm. there were lots of things that I enjoyed, but it made me realize that I don't want to work with young girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just not cut out for it. Um, definitely with evangelism, definitely with with loving people, but I thought that I would be good at that, and I thought that I would mm-hmm. connect there, and I really didn't, so that's... That's really interesting. I loved youth ministry. I was I did youth leadership for a long time, but I found I the like eleven to thirteen year old girls like no thanks. That was my favorite age group when I was in youth ministry. Yeah. Um, now you know, as I'm getting older, I find myself really enjoying. I mean, I enjoy all ages, but college age and you know twenties and thirties like. There's just some things happening during those life mm-hmm. stages that are yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. So. So as we're looking really specifically at tending the garden of our heart during difficult seasons where circumstances we cannot change, is sort of what we are focusing on. Um, during those seasons, it, it feels like as women we're very prone to anxiety, mm-hmm. right, which we've already started kind of bringing up. Can you talk to us about why? What's going on in our brain, in our emotional chemistry that takes us to anxiety as opposed to other symptoms? Yeah. Well, like I kind of said just a little bit before, you know, our culture itself is so go, go, go. I mean, we are constantly in go mode, even if we think we're not. We have something to be reading, something to be observing. We've got our phone set so we get reminders so that we get... Um, notifications. So there's a stop constant, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There is yes. a constant level of being on, yeah. even when we think we're not. And so as women, I don't know that we really give ourselves permission to consider the kind of chronic stress we're under just because of our environment. Mm. The other thing is that we are many of us really have a pursuit of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's so much going on for us and the way we're wired, we are relational in our being and we don't just think of one thing at a time. I mean, when we're mm-hmm. doing one thing, our brains are constantly occupied with what are the kids doing? Are they okay? Is my husband doing this? And with my friends, what's happening here? And we are just 
in a constant state of connecting those dots. We don't do one thing at a time. Um, So as I sit here today, though I can be focused here in the moment, I'm also very aware that I, there were a lot of steps to get here to be able to be fully present here. Mm -hmm. And as you all know, the same, you know, the, all the work that had to get done to be fully (laughs) present and even full of full presence is, is not all we still have this internal thing happening right. of mm-hmm. hope they're having fun with the babysitter and hope they'll be, you know, hope mm-hmm. we'll get done on time. Like all those things that just happen mm-hmm. as women, the way we're hardwired. Yeah. Um, I think the other part of it is just that we are really, you know, fueled. Uh, we really get fueled by comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and as women, we don't know the whole story. I think, again, I'm not trying to diss social media. It has great sides to it. I mean, I use social media too, yeah. but we are seeing bits and pieces of people's lives and it's very difficult for us to not mm-hmm. think that that's what their lives look like. Mm-hmm. And until we know their real stories, then we are living in this world of expectations of what we think we're supposed to be doing. And our capacities are all very different. And yeah. the way that we you know, interpret things, the way we process the world, so an introvert versus an extrovert, you know, what an introvert versus an extrovert needs, all so different. Mm -hmm. And I think in general, we live with a very high level of expectation in comparison. And so I think that fuels a lot of it. And then, you know, our hormones are also a big factor in the way we... um, I'm a pregnant woman right now. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, I wish every woman could have hormones tested and looked at to see what it looks like in terms of balance because I don't think we really are aware of how much that plays into kind of the way we experience ourselves in the world. And as we go through stages of life, hormones are going to change and what we need changes and what we can manage changes, what we have capacity for, what we need for balance, all of that changes. And I think it's really hard for us to make those adjustments Mm -hmm. as our stages of life change and as our needs physically and emotionally change. Um, And I don't think we're really generally very thoughtful about how that could be occurring and we have a hard time accepting that change in those different areas needs to occur for us to be well. Mm. Two quick, tiny questions. One, if someone wanted to have their hormones tested, what Mm. might be the best way to go about doing that? Um, Well, that's a difficult one because it is pretty costly. Yeah. And you do need someone who knows how to interpret those tests Mm, really well. Um, You know, a lot of times a more functional medicine person or integrative health person would be able to look at this um, a little bit differently than maybe just a a general OB. But you could always start with a general OB to see what those hormone levels look like. Secondly, can you do a really quick, what does anxiety look like? Because I think in our heads, we often have a picture of someone who seems very fragile Mm -hmm. and they can't handle anything, isn't outwardly. It's it's like... you know, they're so incapacitated, but anxiety doesn't just look like that. No. And anxiety, again, we're on a spectrum and we have like levels of anxiety. Um, so whether it be just ruminating thoughts where I can't get a certain thought out of my head or it's like a fear of the unknown or there's, you know, specific fears. Um, and sometimes people don't have any idea someone's dealing with anxiety based on what it looks like on the outside, Mm -hmm. but the internal world doesn't feel all that safe for somebody who has anxiety. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're going crazy. They feel like, um, nothing's going to get better, that they're kind of stuck, that they're trapped. Um, so 
there is a difference, I think, in stress and anxiety. And I think there's also a difference in worry and anxiety. But a lot of stress and a lot of worry will lead to anxiety. Hmm. Hmm. Could you unpack that a little bit? What is the difference between worry and anxiety? Um, So worry I'm thinking of as in concern. Like I'm concerned about how this pregnancy is going to go. I'm concerned about how it's going to go at this social event tonight and how I'm going to be able to manage Mm -hmm. everything. Or I'm concerned that I have um, a lot on my plate and how I'm going to get it all done. Um, So that to me is a little bit more around the worry, you know, kind of thinking about that as worry. We all are concerned. We all have worries. It's a matter of what happens next. Do I go into, I can't handle this. I feel so overwhelmed. I can't manage life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so bad because I can't handle this. I should be able to handle more than I am. I will fail. There's no way I will, you know, people will like me when I get there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I won't be able to, um, succeed at whatever I'm trying to do. Um, Mm. so, you know, some anxiety is helpful. Like we need some anxiety because like, you know, adrenaline and cortisol actually increase our ability to think quickly, you know, to move fast. We need that. Like when we're taking a test or when we're doing a performance, we need a level of cortisol, which is connected, which has some connection with adrenaline in order to perform, in order to do something that's going to be difficult for us. Right. But it's when it takes us to the next level where we no longer feel in control and long term chronic anxiety, chronic stress, where we're in heightened levels of anxiety and stress, where our cortisol levels never go down mm-hmm. and they're in chronic or in chronic cortisol high, you know, it burns out our adrenals. And so we mm-hmm. actually get depleted of serotonin. We get depleted of GABA. We get depleted of these, you know, happy messengers in our brain right. to the point where, you know, now we get anhedonia, for example, where there's lack of pleasure in anything. And we get to a point where we just don't seem like there's anything that can make us happy. And so, you know, from a neurochemical standpoint, that is more of what anxiety looks like. And if we don't, you know, address it pretty quickly, when we start to see some of those signs of anxiety, then we, we run the risk of, you know, adrenal failure because we just can't, our bodies can't keep up with what they're requiring in order to handle the amount of cortisol and adrenal or, and, um, adrenaline that Mm -hmm. we're um, flooded with. Wow. That was fascinating. It's a big problem. Mm -hmm. The fight or flight is what cortisol really looks like. Fight or flight is, you know, when, when you feel in fight or flight, like we're frozen, like I have to flee, I have to fight or I have to freeze in order to manage Mm -hmm. this is what was when the cortisol levels go up. Chronic levels of cortisol too make it difficult to sleep. Um, so we just cycle through this place, you know, this place where we're not sleeping well, then again, we're, you know, we're more stressed that we're not sleeping and then Mm -hmm. our bodies just get depleted. So it's quite the cycle. The other thing about anxiety is that anxiety gets kind of coded in our brain. So Mm. the neuro pathways that we develop over the course of time regarding how we think about things, like for example, I'm going to go to the social event and everyone's going to be 
together and in clicks and I'm not going to fit in. I'm going to be the outsider. I'm not mm. going to know how to do small talk. I'm not going to know how to engage or I won't enjoy it. Like the, that's just one small example of a neuro pathway where over time that's my experience and that's what I begin to really kind of expect to happen in those social situations. Another neuro pathway around something like I'm not good enough, right? I just... Um, can't handle difficult things or, you know, something about another relationship. So these kind of anxiety can get coded in our brains. And so we actually have to create new neuropathways to change the coding in our brain. And that again, that's a difference in anxiety. And I'm concerned about something which is pretty normal. And I feel like I have what I need and the resources I need to handle that concern. Mm-hmm. So does it become coded because of ongoing experiences that reinforce that mindset? Or do we have like a presupposition, like a, a perception of no one's going to like me? And it isn't actually the reality of the situation. Um, how, what, like what is it that actually sets that in stone? It's both because we are, you know, genetically and epigenetically, some of us are predisposed to being more of a worrier and the way that we see the world, a type A, for example, kind of personality Mm -hmm. is going to be a little more driven, a little more prone to black and white and rigidity in their thinking and performance Mm -hmm. and higher levels of adrenaline and cortisol just naturally and like genetically and biologically and so like a type a personality is going to and i'm just using that as a general term which yeah. we, most of us know what that means um is going to have a little more difficulty in not getting those things coded or some of the things got, might get coded and perceived um a little more rigidly or a little more negatively just mm-hmm. naturally um not because they're doing anything wrong or because they've done something wrong mm. it's just more difficult for them to see maybe the the bright side of things, for example, and yeah. a real generic kind of way of phrasing mm-hmm. that. Um, so they, so a type A type personality just, it's not that, you know, they're, they're doing something wrong by having a negative perception. Mm-hmm. It's just more difficult for them to, they have to work really hard at, at you know, reality testing in a way, right? you know, mm-hmm. and saying, well, this is what I think, this is what I feel. And I, that, that I might, that might not be accurate this time. Yeah. Right. So let's just kind of be open minded and and curious Mm -hmm. about what I actually um, experience in this moment. I think that the um, having developing self-awareness about the fight, flight, freeze, if you're noticing yourself doing that in response to something that isn't like a car accident's about to happen, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps something that that's a pr- appropriate response or there's a big performance you have to do where it's something, whether it's smaller things happening mm-hmm. in your life, but you're finding yourself yeah, hitting that, that having the self-awareness that can even be a starting place. Absolutely. Um, so what would be a starting place in identifying and recovering from a struggle with anxiety? Yeah. Well, one is knowing your, let me just speak to that fight, flight or freeze piece with the smaller things first. Um, our bodies don't necessarily recognize, recognize like a difference difference, between a good stress and a bad stress or a big stress and a small stress. Um, and over time, sometimes, you know, we develop more stress responses just because of the stress we've had or, Mm -hmm. um, the chronic level of stress that, you know, is just chronic. And then you have a stressor. And if you didn't have this, all this chronic stress, a stressor like 
you know, that comes in might not affect us quite as much if I didn't have this level of chronic stress. Mm. So the fright, flight, or freeze is something that even could be not a negative thing. I mean, a new baby or a wedding or, um, you know, a promotion, like great things that happen. Yeah. Our body doesn't necessarily differentiate mm-hmm. between that being a good thing or a bad thing. And that's why it's so important to really look at the balance in terms of what does it look like for me resting and how am I just decreasing my overall level of, ex- of, of adrenaline and excitement and intensity in my life, you know, yeah. um, whether that's g- good intensity or or not good intensity, yeah. right? For negative things or positive things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so a starting point, one is really, I think, starting to understand what your, like a lot, of, I mean, that self-awareness is like critical and understanding your own threshold of tolerance for excitement even mm-hmm. and stress mm-hmm. and um, both good and negative stress. Um, I think being able to know what your warning signs are that you're getting maxed mm-hmm. out or even like starting to know what helps you, like what's going up the ramp for you. Like, for example, I know that when I start waking up in the middle of the night, when it's not a kiddo waking up, yeah. uh, waking me up, I need to really watch what's happening because that tells me that my cortisol levels during the day have been higher than normal. Mm-hmm. And so I need to kind of take a step back and observe things a little bit more. When I have thoughts that I'm having difficulty just letting go of, mm-hmm. um, if I'm more critical of people or of my husband, those are, that's also a really big sign for me mm-hmm. that I'm at a higher level of stress because I probably feel out of control of something and I want to gain control of something. Mm-hmm. And so I need, um, I recognize in those times that I'm more prone to being a little more controlling and a little more and needing a lot more structure and needing things to be okay. Yeah. And so I'm also more easily, I'm more direct. I'm more easily irritated. I'm a little, I might voice tone changes more when mm-hmm. I am, you know, I'm under that where I'm getting up the ramp for my own level of balance where I'm just more likely to kind of bark orders versus be more present and aware. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that I know that when I start hearing that and then my husband knows when he starts seeing those things, he's like, Hey, so, you know, like <laughs> everything. Okay. Like is today a rough day. And I'm like, yeah (laughs) it was yeah and I know like I know (laughs) I know um but that's when I know that I need to make sure that I'm probably one of my first go-tos is my sleep routine so just making sure I would little things like take some time to wash my face and brush my teeth and take some time to maybe put on a lotion I like or um, get into bed versus falling asleep somewhere else. And, you know, just mm. little things yeah. that aren't life changing, monumental. Mm. And then the next day, just really thinking, okay, what do I need to take off my plate Yeah. in terms so I can just be present and right here. So for me, that looks like me just being able to be with the kids and maybe not um, getting all the laundry done and also getting the dishes undone and getting those four errands run and getting that email returned and returning mm-hmm. that phone call and making that appointment. So mm-hmm. what of those things can I just say, you know what, that can wait. And today I'm just going to be here and play and be present. So that is a reset place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are things that when we're starting to recognize that we have anxiety, I think, seeing someone talking to someone, helping someone be objective about it, because most of us have a hard time being objective about our anxiety and aren't Mm -hmm. that really aware of how anxiety is even impacting our lives, you know, negatively and how it affects our relationships, Mm -hmm. certainly our families. 
you know, yeah. um, generally when we're anxious, we're going to spew things out, yeah. um, that are not somebody else's fault or not mm-hmm. someone else's responsibility, but because of our heightened place, we want some level of control and we generally look for other people to give that to us, which they can't. Um, yeah. yeah. So being aware of that, um, Learning to be assertive is another big thing. Recognizing how to use your voice to ask for what you need. Learning to have boundaries. Um, Recognizing that it's okay to say no. And I don't have to do what other people do outside of their work and family life in order for me to have worth and value. Mm -hmm. Um, That my tolerance, my balance, my threshold is different than Christina's. It's different than Christiana's. And when I get more peaceful with that, more accepting of that and live with compassion for my own needs, mm-hmm. everybody's happier, including mm-hmm. myself, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Can you speak to, <clears throat> so there's a lot of causes of anxiety. Yeah. It's fairly complicated. Yesterday I was listening to a podcast I love, but they were talking about, um, not, processing our emotions and even when we think we're disconnecting from them we're not Mm -hmm. and they can manifest as anxiety Mm -hmm. can you speak to a little bit like unpack that idea of when we're not in a healthy way processing our feelings how sometimes anxiety grows out of that sure of course so depending on kind of your own family of origin and what you were taught Mm -hmm. regarding emotions and if your family of origin kind of um taught you how to process Mm -hmm. emotions. Most of us, a lot of people just didn't grow up with being taught how to identify emotions and how to express them and that it's okay to do that and to give space for that. Then a lot of times we just tamp it down. Um, most of, most women I hear over and over, I'm just too much. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to be less sensitive. Um, I'm, I'm an overreactor. I make too big of a deal of things. And so we hear these messages all over the place, you know, throughout our lives, depending on our experiences So learning to identify your emotions as you're experiencing them. And that takes time Mm -hmm. if you've not really, and it takes time to slow down to learn how to do it. Um, I think about it like driving a car. And at first when you're learning to drive a car, you have to pay attention to every single detail Mm -hmm. and you're like super anxious about like everything and everything feels so big and like, do not turn on the radio. Do not wave your hand, you know, like everything's intense. (laughs) And then it becomes second nature as you get more used to it and practice it more and more. So I feel like that's what happens with emotional identification too and learning how to process our emotions. So at first when you're learning how to do it, it's like, "Ah," everything's intense. Like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling stressed. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling frustrated. Oh my goodness, I'm feeling anxious or lonely. Like everything, I'm feeling hurt. Like it feels like it's a 10 on the scale because I've never really identified that. It's like a water hose, you know, Mm -hmm. like fire hydrant response to every emotion. And then as we get more used to and and our, our threshold of tolerance increases actually for different emotions and for a heightened level of emotion emotional experience. And yeah. so we actually don't have the same reactions and responses over time. Mm. And we actually are a little more peaceful and accepting and mm. not quite so scared of those different emotions. Yeah. So as we start to open it up, it is usually worse before it gets better as we're starting to learn how to yeah. do that. And then over time, just like driving a car, it becomes more second nature and we're not having to stop the car at every single <laughs> emotional trigger yeah -hmm. you know wow that's such a good example Mm -hmm. 
with so many when I feel like it's this major deal if I can just step back enough to even identify what it is mm-hmm. it it helps to yeah. dissipate that feeling of anxiety that right. feeling of total overwhelm right okay that's what it is and this is why exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be okay you know um and the more you do that the more you learn how to do that and what exactly what those things look like could you speak to I feel like we're opening big <laughs> cans of worms um you mentioned um your so much is defined by our family of origin and the mm-hmm. things that we learned or didn't learn or learned to do very badly mm-hmm. um many of us listening to this are raising families of origin you know <laughs> yeah I'm with you um, how can we teach our particularly our girls but all of our children how to identify emotions give them language give them tools to that will serve them later in life sure I mean I will say too I'm I mean I have a boy and a girl and you know it's very important to me to raise a girl of course and I'm Mm -hmm. raising a girl who can identify and express her emotions Mm -hmm. but as I'm getting my boys getting older you know and I see different things in him I'm like you know, at one point I even had the conversation with our, I don't know if it was with my family or my husband's family or I said, you know, we're just not, we're not going to raise a boy who doesn't know how to talk about what he needs. I mean, that is an infancy level of emotional maturity to throw a tantrum when I don't get what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only, and so learning to identify emotions and express need and find out how to problem solve um, when I feel an intense emotion is something that boys and girls need. Um, I think generally speaking that we have to teach that there's space and, and different ways for both boys and girls and the way they do that is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, like, um, with, with girls, um, you know, girls tend to have more emotional, I mean, it's easier for them to kind of connect with their emotions in many cases, not all girls. I don't want to stereotype that because it's not always the case. Um, but we can see that, um, you know, they might get their feelings hurt or, you know, they might slam doors and start crying and (laughs) all of those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. um, where a boy might be more likely to maybe hit something or kick something or get angry and, you know, those kinds of things. So for, Mm -hmm. for both, in both situations, I see you are really, really mad. I see you're really upset. I see, I wonder, maybe you're feeling really disappointed. You know, you're, and so when we can really start to help them to, um, have words of expression and we can kind of serve as their, Mm -hmm. um, vocabulary for words and really validating, like, I see you, I understand it makes sense to me that you'd be this upset because Mm -hmm. they have really big emotions and that is actually what it's actually really good and developmentally appropriate. And if we try to say, don't feel that way, or even if we don't say it, we're like, okay, we're going to stop crying now. Let's not cry about that. Um, Mm then we're constantly, we're not giving them um, the ability to figure out why am I feeling this way and what do I need to do about it? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, clearly there's times where I'm like, well, we're not going to whine to get that. You know, I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to just allow, that's not my house either. So hear me <laughs> yeah. there. I mean, I say that phrase about 15 million times a day. Um, but when we're in, and there's a difference and I'm whining to get your attention and mm-hmm. even that will also, you know, Maybe right now you just need a hug or, you know, I'm going to look at you like in your eyes right now and what's, this is important to you. 
So being able to give them the word um, and say, and help them to help you understand how they're feeling. Um, with my four-year-old, I'll say things like, how big is this problem? He's, it's a boy. Yeah. My boy, my four-year-old is a boy. How big is this problem? And he'll be like, this big, behind my back big. And then other times he'll be like, this big. I'm like, so what are we going to do about it? You know, and so it's really helping him to develop those neuropathways that he can handle hard things yeah. and he can handle big emotions and that it's okay to have these big emotions, but we're going to find a way through it. Um, and just that question, what are we going to do about this? This is really important to you. So, you know, raising kiddos where it's just, we're with them in the emotion. I see you. I understand how hard this is for you. And I hear how big this is for you mm-hmm. and I'm with you in it and we'll work through it. Um, and then, you know, once, and that's, you know, the, the right side of the brain that's reacting in that moment, it's the emotional part of the brain. And we cannot get to logic until the amygdala of the right side of the brain has been calmed down. So when we can go into a place where we validate and help their amygdala get calmed down, help their right brain, um, you know, get calmed down to a more, you know, stable place, then we can re-engage with the logical mind. Um, and so that's just a practice that we just you know, in our house, this is really, you know, we're in our right brain and we're not going to be able to get to our left brain until we've been connected, until we've had connection. So connection is what calms the, the right brain down so we can get back where we can be relationally connected again, Mm -hmm. because we're in our right brain where it's, you know, hijacked, we can't relate, we can't connect. And then we can't solve problems if we can't get back to that relational place. It's fantastic. This podcast I was listening to, they're also talking about how the feelings wheel. Yeah. Some people may not be familiar with it, but it's a circle with feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'll yeah. <laughs> Lots of feelings. So you have words and how at the end of the day, before, as they're putting their kids to bed, they kind of do the check-in mm-hmm. where they talk about, what did you feel today? Yeah. And sort of that same, like helping them process and give language. Yes. And this other family, they had a whiteboard where they would write an emotion of the week, like mm-hmm. anger or happiness or whatever. And in situations when it arose, but that's what that is. Yes. Mm. You know, and I thought, man, wow. we probably all, yeah. like, we all need the whiteboard mm-hmm. and the feelings wheel. We have those emoticons, not emoticons. Well, there's like several different things that you can print out that have the different emotions with a face on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I've we've used those with Addie. We haven't used them quite so much with our son yet. We probably need to pull it back out. Um, and at night, um, you know, we do highs and lows at dinner and mm-hmm. at night. So um, usually at bedtime, depending on the situation, might be more verbal. Mm-hmm. But using that high-low for us has been a real good springboard mm-hmm. of um, – helping them name emotions. So we're not asking, well, how did you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we're, um, yeah, you know, like staying curious about their experience. So what was that like? And wow, it sounds like you felt really proud of yourself. Yeah. And wow, man, that was a really great way to handle that. Um, what do you think about that now? Or how big was that feeling when you, when you were there doing that? Um, you know, like even as I was leaving today, my son, you know, oftentimes will say, you know, he doesn't want me to go or whatever. And we've talked a lot about how those are really big feelings and what happens to those feelings. And so like, it's like a balloon and we, that big balloon, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually that balloon pops or it floats away and it, you know, and so those feelings aren't going to stay that way. Yeah. And that's been a really powerful 
illustration in our family that feelings come and go mm-hmm. and that I can handle big feelings mm-hmm. and I'm going to be okay with big feelings and that they're not going to overwhelm me and overpower me and I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get through it. Um, so that for us has been another place. Yeah. And we also have something we call safe space in our house. So let's get to a safe place so you can, so we can help you calm down and, mm. um, Every kiddo needs different things in that regard. Um, And we also have time ins where, especially Mm -hmm. when we're really heightened to, you know, let's, let's get in here and um, go to the room together. So we know that you can be safe and not hurt your sister, not hurt your brother um, or yourself. Um, And so let's go in here and sometimes, and with every kiddo, it's different. Um, Addie would want to talk it through um, and be able to really express that George, he needs someone to make him laugh (laughs) to get his brain in different space and then he can talk about it Mm. but he can't talk about that until um he's been able to laugh and move his body and so with every kiddo it's really different but especially boys they learn through movement Mm -hmm. and their brain chemistry changes through movement Mm. um and so that's something i've had to get used to um and not just talking about Feelings. (laughs) Feelings. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning right along with them mm-hmm. about that. That's so great. We have been doing highs and lows pretty consistently now for a while. And I've just seen that shift. Like um, what I've observed is they feel more connected mm-hmm. and um, just aware of what's going on in themselves. Right. But I, I f- it's been really helpful hearing your perspective and your experience of it because I don't know how much I unpack emotions in that yeah Mm -hmm. I just love to hear about what they what they were doing today and what Mm -hmm. happened at school or what happened in that situation with that person so that I'm aware Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think them just talking about it helps Mm -hmm. them resolve things or whatever um but it just makes me think of like when you talk about the the color wheel and the the little emoji faces and stuff like that is how powerful it is to give them language right Uh, I did this class a long time ago probably five or six years ago a parenting class and they talked about emotional nutrition and Mm -hmm. how when you use phrases like good job or well done it's like skittles emotionally like they feel good but it doesn't give them (laughs) anything it doesn't actually build their right um their emotional bodies you know Mm -hmm. so if you can give them language like you are very clever like you made a good choice that shows me that you have responsibility or that you have leadership or whatever then they can think back to themselves i have leadership or i am able Mm. to be responsible exactly it's actual Mm -hmm. real tangible language it's identity that's building them yeah yes so um I just feel like that same principle relates to unpacking negative emotions mm-hmm. or maybe bad choices or whatever that they can say, okay, I'm really frustrated or I'm really disappointed yep. and giving them language rather than just saying I'm mad right. um, will also help build that emotional intelligence. Yes. Good and the stuff. other thing, exactly right along with that, with the whole good job idea, you know, I think that in and of itself can increase kiddos anxiety if they're not getting good job all the time. Yeah. Um, because what am I doing wrong? I didn't get a good job and they right. expect a good job all the time. Mm-hmm. I try to use words like, I appreciate that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. You must feel proud. 
you know, so that's really in, in kind of helping them to internalize their own, um, power essentially Hmm. to, to do their lives well Yeah, and really helping them to have link, like feel that intrinsic sense of, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. That feels good to me. Yeah. You know, it's not just to please mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so, and to own their own choices around things like that. Yeah. Empowering them. It's good. Mm -hmm. So getting back to us grownups and our anxiety. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, all of that was applicable to me. No, it was super, (laughs) super helpful. Um, I just want to talk about, um, you touched on being a Christian woman and relating to our emotions and anxiety. Yeah. And there's kind of this expectation yeah. and this shame um, within our culture. But I also want to want to look at how we relate to the Lord. Like we feel shame yeah. going into the place of prayer or worship. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it can cause us to withdraw from that. Right. Um, can you speak to that? How do we... Sure tackle that um I I think that when this question arises what I want to what I really feel so important to ask the question then what what is my view of God really Mm. if I'm feeling shame about my anxiety Mm. because a loving father doesn't shame us when we're in a panic attack Mm -hmm. um a loving father would come in close and say hey I'm with you you're going to be okay. I'm going to be with mm-hmm. you. I'm going to hold you in this. Yep. You're not, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be okay. Um, you're not alone. And so the shame around not being able to get rid of anxiety or having panic or these, what some people feel like are character flaws or something that is inadequate about their faith or things like that. I, I want to, one, I was like, well, let's go back to neurochemistry. This is not your fault. Right. It's not something you did to yourself. This is not um, something you could think through better. You could pray harder or be better in. There's neurochemistry, mm. biology, and epigenetics that all play in at the core of at, at this. And there's some hardwiring that we can't necessarily right. change. But how we manage it and what we do with it, you know, that's, that is in part up to us I mean not Mm -hmm. in part in full up to us and how we take responsibility for the things that we struggle with in life which we all struggle with with things right and um, have these different cards were dealt genetically and biologically Um, so with anxiety and spirituality um, being able to do things like a manual prayer Mm -hmm. um, meditation where we are able to you know calm the cortisol levels down for me with a manual prayer, it's really given me this whole new um, way of, you know, relating to God as term mm-hmm. in terms of him being a comforter yeah. and being with me in my pain and my suffering, not necessarily taking it away um, it, not in situations, but that calmness and that sense of presence and not feeling alone and not being isolated or mm-hmm. misunderstood or not understood and feeling known in those places of anxiety or places of suffering. Um, that in and of itself is so calming to our adrenal system and to our, and to our you know, to us biologically. Um, so if there is a place of struggle around shame and not, and not being able to go to the Lord in that, I would say 
really ask the question, what is it? What are the barriers and what are, what is my perception of God? And sometimes that relates back to, you know, early childhood experiences we've had spiritually, you know, pastors or caregivers or parents, Mm -hmm. you know, where we, I will ask sometimes the question, whose voice is that? Yeah. You know, is that really God? You know, Mm -hmm. is that your perception of God or is that, and is that truly who God actually is? Or is that somebody else's voice Mm -hmm. that is a little confusing yeah it's good I think so much of our identity is wrapped up in our view of the character of God right and when that is distorted it just affects so many things right it's a really really great place to come back to Mm -hmm. and sometimes doing you know some therapy around that or some you know inner healing kind of work Mm -hmm. (laughs) where we can really expose where those beliefs about God came from can be really, really powerful in terms of helping us deal with our anxiety differently. Yeah. I love how you talk about engaging with the Lord as your comforter Mm -hmm. in those times. Because I think, depending on our personality or even our theology, like the way we've been brought up, as you say, um, we we can approach it as... God, can you fix this? Or God, right. the way that we pray is I want you to take this away. Exactly. Or deliver me mm. from anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. Like cure me. external thing that, or that maybe he's allowed this to happen. Right. And the, the process, the, the way, the perspective that we're looking at it can be kind of destructive in itself. Even the perspective that I, that God would, be disappointed. I mean, that he's disappointed that I'm worrying Mm because there's a lot of scripture about worry and anxiety. Um, and I think it can be used against us and Mm -hmm. it can be used as a shame based way. I think we have to remember the context that we don't necessarily have words for anxiety in scripture. And I think there is a difference in what you know, would have been spoken to in terms of worry mm-hmm. when scripture was written and what we're dealing with in terms of worry and anxiety in today's context. So going back to that whole idea that there might be a difference in worry and concern yeah. and anxiety. Yeah. And a comforting father wouldn't say, you should really get your stuff together and stop being anxious about that. Yeah. You know, cast all your cares upon me and I will, you know, he loving father doesn't minimize or dismiss our experience Mm -hmm. of what is happening and what is occurring. I think as we get connected with a father that really does comfort us, the comfort comes from presence and from trust that he's going to be with us in our pain and in our suffering. Mm -hmm. And then we feel more confident and desire even to trust him with more. Um, But if we don't believe he's a loving, caring, compassionate father who doesn't shame us, then why would we trust him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It's good. One other thing, piece of that regarding spirituality. Yeah. Um, I do think that when we can have compassion for ourselves mm-hmm. when we're experiencing anxiety or when we're feeling ashamed and we don't yeah. know that we can go to God or we think we should, quote unquote, um, but can't or can't break through that wall or that barrier, being able to have compassion for that and acceptance of that, knowing that God is not disappointed or angry or wishing we were different than we are, um, he understands. He understands the barriers. He's been with us in all of those places that could have made it difficult for us to come to him. Mm -hmm. And he gets it. And he's totally there 
and he's mm. not disappointed. Yeah. And um, the self-compassion, having compassion, we can have compassion that comes from the Father. I think it does make it easier to have self-compassion. But when we can't experience that compassion from God, I think we can work on learning how to have self-compassion, mm-hmm. which is the antidote to shame. Mm. And that self-compassion is a learned skill mm. um, for most all of us. Yeah. Um, and so that is something in the last year or so I will say I'm learning a lot more about and how that how to practice that internally, externally, in relationships. But the power of self-compassion continues to amaze me. Hmm. So how do you start to cultivate that? Like, what does that actually look like? Um, it's, well, Susan, not Susan, Kristen Neff has written a book called Self-Compassion. Okay. And um, the, there's self-compassion theory that's coming out of the UK and with Kristen Neff. I think it's really interesting that it's coming out now after mm. we've kind of seen all of Brene Brown's work in yeah. shame yeah. and yeah. so many things that have come from Brene's work that is kind of infiltrating, you know, culture and not just yeah. psychology, yeah. which is wonderful. Yes. Right. It's fantastic yeah. that everyone has access to yeah. Brene Brown and, mm-hmm. um, can get a hold of her things, um, and her work, which I'm so grateful for. Um, the self-compassion, I think, is the antidote to the shame. So we learn about the shame. We learn about we don't want a shame spiral. We want to, we learn about shame, but we don't really know what do I do instead of shame yeah. and judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think the the answer to that is self-compassion. So when I'm experiencing a level of anxiety or a level of distress or, um, you know, noticing I'm struggling in an area, my first go-to is comfort. This is a really difficult spot. You're struggling a lot. Mm-hmm. This is really hard. And I recognize that I can kind of in a way give myself that comfort that says I'm just validate this is, this is challenging yeah. right yeah. Mm-hmm. um and being able to just recognize that and to validate that and then giving space for the struggle versus the judgment that I'm struggling mm-hmm. um I shouldn't mm-hmm. be struggling this shouldn't be this hard come on get should, it together should, should. <laughs> right um so and so doesn't have a hard time with this why do you um, those internal dialogues that we sometimes yeah. aren't that aware of. And as we become more aware of the internal dialogue, sometimes we're surprised, I think, at mm-hmm. how judgmental we really are of ourselves. That if I always go back to, well, what would I do with my child right now? That helps me connect with self-compassion. Mm. How yeah. would I treat my kiddo if she was coming to me with this? Mm. And would I say, well, you know what? You just need to kind of buck up a little bit here. <laughs> Probably not. Um, I'd say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I see where this is coming from yeah right? it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, what can we do to be with you in it and to help you through it yeah so the self-compassion just sort of makes you know moves the judgment out we stay in curiosity so that's the next step is kind of comfort and then curiosity huh I'm wondering about this this is really intense and I'm curious about that mm-hmm. um and then you know as we kind of you know calm that um you know, hijacked brain down, we're able to move into problem solving in a more compassionate way and a more, in a way that it's more about self care. Um, mm. it's more coming out of perspective. I'm doing this in way as a, I'm growing, I'm changing as a way to take care of myself versus kind of like, let's straight jacket myself into good behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I do what I do, like going to bed at a different time, changing my sleep routine up, like saying no to things, um, saying yes to other things out of care, out of compassion, out of self-care versus, you know, I just really should 
do all these things and um, be better about all these things. Should is connected to shame. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's such a great shift in the way that we look because I'm kind of all about discipline and I, if I could just do this, if I just did this, yeah. then all of these things would be better. You know, mm -hmm. it's my fault. These are my poor choices. But making better choices out of care for myself and not right. out of self-discipline. I mean, self-discipline is not a bad thing. There's a but place for... It's sure. become a, a shaming it, yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And everybody has their own journey in this area. I mean, for some, you know, learning some, some discipline and structure is necessary for their growth and yeah. emotional development and maturity. Because, yeah, that's mm -hmm. what it's related. It can be related to maturity. Absolutely. And to doing hard things. Absolutely. You know, but... Absolutely. I think that we, it so quickly becomes a thing of disappointment and shame um, that we're beating ourselves with. Right. Yeah. And I think long-term yeah. change happens if it's from a care and compassionate way versus a shame-based way. Yeah. So even though we, I think we develop that emotional maturity, we increase our capacity um, through, through care, through compassion, through doing the work from that perspective mm -hmm. versus, you know, I really should be a better person. I'm not good enough. And I'm going to do these 10 things to prove that I am a good enough person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we all have so much to chew on. <laughs> yeah. Um, not because you should. No, <laughs> no, but there's just, I feel like um, there's just so many, just really simple, honest ways that we can engage with ourselves that will really bring a lot of freedom. Yeah. And hope yeah. where, anxiety feels very hopeless right um yeah i think my major takeaway is that concept of um compassion towards yourself mm -hmm. and even that i mean the whole conversation about how we relate to our kids and giving them language and validating their experience and if we can have that same compassion that we would have for them on right. ourselves like that example of what would i say to my kids yeah. um from most of us who are good moms, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> love our kids and um, want to care for them, want to treat their weakness tenderly. Right. Um, if we can have that same perspective on ourselves, I think we would. Mm -hmm. We would just grow a lot. You yes. know, we would. There'd be so much freedom. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. the so much freedom and grace in our yeah. lives. So much of our anxiety does come from this. I'm not doing it good enough, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. like. Um, and if we, and that's why I think the Christian woman especially has a level of anxiety that not every woman does, you know, regarding my fulfilling my call, am I doing good enough? Mm -hmm. All of those things that we yeah. ask ourselves, um, if we were to really connect with the compassion of the father and the compassion with towards ourselves in these spaces mm -hmm. of life, I just, the freedom in that is, mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. Sure. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. So go and be compassionate to yourself. Mm -hmm. See you again soon.